0: spell it with a K. See you, Take it easy. All right, welcome to another episode of the Front Room Material Brand, brought to you by the MLW Radio Network. My name is Mike Freeland. And as you know, it's interview time. I am so excited to get a chance to talk to so many different wrestlers from different parts of the country who have wrestled all over the world and the thing about the interviews that we do is actually they're more like conversations. I like to find out about their experiences, what got them into wrestling, why they enjoy wrestling, and maybe a little bit apart their, their personal life as well. So today we have a great guest right here. And as I was doing my research, this individual has been here, there, and everywhere, has had a successful career, has been in WWE as well. We'll talk about that. Chikara, which is one of my favorite promotions. Mike Quackenbush as well. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the people who trained him as well and what his feelings are on the world of wrestling as it stands right now. My guest right now is Lince Dorado. Let's go ahead and let's bring him on in. How you doing today, buddy? What's up, everybody?
1: It's Lucha Lit, Lince Dorado in the house. What's going on, baby?
0: Man, it's so much fun to get to talk to different people and you have such a Vast background when it comes to wrestling. You've been in so many different promotions and you are one of the most charismatic wrestlers out there, especially with on the independent circuit. So let me go ahead and let's first start out with why wrestling? I, that's kind of my, my first question I like to ask people, what was it about wrestling that made you decide, you know what? I think I could do this.
1: For sure. Uh, so check it, uh, wrestling Lucha Libre in particular has always been a part of my culture and my life being Puerto, uh, Puerto Rican. Uh, My grandfather actually introduced me to uh, Lucha Libre when I was very early on. But to me, that looked like sport. Um, Even though the characters were in in costumes, you know, to me, they were uniforms. And and to me, it was a sport where you were winning a contest by pinning or submitting somebody. So it was basically like premature MMA for me. And I actually just recently watched this pay-per-view with my kids um, two days ago. My uncle came over in 94, with the royal rumble the first time i ever seen american wrestling and um you know he's he's fast forwarding this vhs tape that in the vh you know my brain is melting as a child and then he pauses it and um you know he's like watch this and it's the undertaker versus Yoko casket match yeah it was one of the first times that i saw a match that wasn't like lucha libre or pro wrestling and i was like what wh- what is this and then you know, other characters started coming out, Diesel and uh, Diesel Goldust. Uh, everybody started, Jeff Jarrett started coming out. I was like, Whoa, what are these guys? This isn't my natural lucha libre that I would always see. And then come to find out that you know, it was the WWF. And ever since then, I was like, Whoa, I need to find out more and more about this. I need to see this everywhere. So, ever since that moment, you know, I was super hooked, I knew exactly. That what I wanted to do. Nobody could change my mind. You know, uh, we talked a little bit right before this, where you know I went to school for animation and, and some other stuff. But that was all like second stuff. Like it was never the foreground to what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a pro wrestler uh, because of you know that match in particular
0: and we talked about obviously you know uh, wrestling in Puerto Rico and obviously you know there's a lot of wrestling and it's very family based meaning generation after generation and it's something that's very revered and really respected how would you compare That aspect of it, as compared to American wrestling, where I mean, you do have the roads and the funks and whatnot, but it seems like there's a lot more of a significance when it comes to other countries where it's specifically, you know, grandfather, fathers, uncles, stuff like that, where it is it is in your heritage to be a professional wrestler. Yeah, for sure. I think um, going back
1: the The culture of pro-wrestling or lucha libre is part of our Hispanic culture, no matter if you're Puerto Rican or Mexican. I'm one hundred percent Puerto Rican. Uh, I, I had this conversation with somebody else like there's a group of guys of us who aren't Mexican, you know who we wanted to be a part of the lucha libre culture rather than the lucha libre culture be a part of us. So when we watch lucha libre and that and and those cultures look at lucha libre or whatever wrestling is called for them, it, it's been based, man. It's based on their culture for many years, many generations, like you said, you know, families get together uh, on Sundays and watch wrestling events, you know, pay-per-views and all that. I think in America, it's more of an attraction. And it's always, they use that word attraction a lot where like, you know, come see the wrestling, you know, that's cool. I'm going to see, you know, wrestling that already has a bad stigma to it, whether people think it's predetermined or whatever. Uh, but you don't hear that in other cultures, you know, you only hear come see the wrestling and everybody's like, yes, I want to come see it. So I think, um, you know, people can say like, Oh, well the social media and all that kind of killed American wrestling. It really didn't. I think it's always been the same where people always seen it as a niche rather than, you know, something that is a part of American culture. Wrestling is not a part of American culture. Wrestling is a part of the world culture. And I think if, if it was part of the American culture, like if WWF or WWE was a part of the American culture today, which it isn't, it really isn't, um, you know, then we can have a different conversation of people looking at wrestling in a different limelight rather than like just guys in spandex or guys in masks going out there and having these, uh Fake contests, and they're really not that. You know, when you go to other culture, uh, other countries, Europe, Mexico, or Japan, they're they're looked at as you know athletes, and you know the backstage stuff. I'm sure they're exposed to, but again, that's not what's driven. What's driven is the athletes, the the culture of pro wrestling or lucha libre, and uh, the wrestlers itself.
0: I love how you mentioned earlier how as far as the attire, it's worn more like a uniform and they're looked at as as athletes instead of just these attractions in in WWE. How does that correlate with the fans as well? Because in a lot of places in the world, I've noticed talking to people from different cultures that they're looked at just as highly regarded as the baseball players or any other professional sport as in America, like you said, it's more of an attraction-based thing. Do you feel like It should be revered in the same way as it is in Puerto Rico and as it is in Mexico as well, and even over in Japan. Uh, A thousand percent. I'm sure I'm not the only one as well. I think if we were looked at the
1: same way as other places, business would be more booming. uh, Wrestlers would be more popular. Um, I think nowadays when we think about American wrestling, we're really thinking about the independent wrestling. We're not really thinking about WWE. We're not thinking about TNA. Uh, That's really what the mindset of uh, average viewer of wrestling um, looks at when they think of American wrestling. Oh, it's independent wrestling, Uh, but it it really isn't. And you can't compare it to WWE because WWE is an international company. So they have international guys uh, just like TNA and AEW and ROH Uh, They're all international companies with international styles, but when you think about the independent style of American wrestling, it's kind of just one narrow road of just high spots and try to pop the crowd rather than, you know, that emotional attachment that originally comes with pro wrestling. So um, in that aspect... Some people do like that niche, and some people don't. But but it's not all; it's not revered or not seen as the same level of competition uh, in Mexico or Japan or Europe, um, just because of the culture, the way the way that wrestling is DNA'd in the culture of those specific places.
0: I definitely want to get to that aspect soon. As far as yeah, you know, I feel like American wrestling fans are actually pre-programmed in some way. You know, and we're not taken on that journey as far as long-term storytelling and allowing people to get emotionally invested as you do with with other nationalities that get into wrestling because they have long-term stories. And I feel like with American wrestling, especially in WWE, everything is instant gratification. You know, there there is a payoff immediately instead of allowing something to breathe um, and obviously go ahead and let the audience base their investment into it. But let's pause that for a second. So in 1994, you see the undertaker, you see Yokozuna, you see all these characters at what, I mean, I know you mentioned, you said you definitely wanted to become a pro wrestler. How does a young version of you start that process in saying, Hey, you know what? Maybe after I graduate high school, I should start looking for places to go. For sure. Well, okay.
1: First, it started with like studying wrestling, right? So my grandpa would always have the black box and uh, every Sunday or Saturday, depending on if it was WCW, ECW, or WWF, we would always go there and watch it. I would always go there and watch it on a Sunday and he would always take me back to, uh, to school on Mondays. And I'd be like the insider guys, like this is what happened the other day. So like, so ever since, you know, that day, really, I, I, I felt like my brain has not changed. I was so obsessed with wrestling, so that was my first thing: be obsessed with wrestling, make it number one priority. Um, me and a bunch of other guys, actually guys who are on TV right now, uh, started doing backyard wrestling. Uh, two two backyard promotions, basically from two different eras or areas, found each other on the early days of MySpace and YouTube, and uh, you know, one of us had the production. And the talent, and the other one had the ring, but no production and talent. So we kind of like joined in there. And, uh, you know, that was, I was still in high school. I was wrestling, amateur wrestling still um, while I was doing backyard wrestling. And one day we were doing a show in Belmont, not Belmont, um, Malaga, Malaga, New Jersey. That was our backyard uh, location, EB dub. And uh, like I said, a couple of guys that, if you guys would be surprised, came out of that Fed. Because this special day, we invited a ECW legend, Tommy Cairo, who lived pretty close from the area to our show. You know, what's the worst that he could say? He could say no, but he showed up and he actually enjoyed our product. It wasn't the best looking back at it, but uh, he had mentioned, hey, out of the 20 guys there, maybe on the show, uh, six of us were the the best. And he was like, hey, uh, you guys have something here. You guys should go get trained at the uh, ECW arena. There's wrestling schools located out of the ECW arena. And um, we were like, bet, hell yeah, we'll, we'll try that. So me and uh, two other guys, Siri and Porto from Shakara, actually, were from the backyard as well. And um, we went over to a show, my first interaction with independent wrestling, actually, a CZW show. And before I even go on, this interaction could have been really bad and turned me off on wrestling or, you know, was really good, which it ended up was uh, being and, you know, turned me on more to wrestling. Luckily for me, and guys, what I'm talking about is the CZW, uh, you know, uh, reputation, you know, but luckily for me and the world of wrestling, the show I went to was best of the best. So it was like the best of the best wrestlers from the East coast and all over the world. And it was a really good athletic competition of pro wrestling that I was like, wow, this is, this is not WWF or ECW, but this is really cool. And one of the guys, there was two guys there in the finals. uh, There was four guys in the finals, but two really stood out to me. Claudio Castagnoli, AKA Cesaro. Uh, because of his way, the way that he presented himself, his music, his look, the way he wrestled, I was like, this guy's a superstar. He gets it. And then ruckus ruckus was a guy who was, you know, not the best looking superstar, but the guy was so amazing and he had great personality. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be the best of the best, like these guys. So after the show, um, me and, the Assyrian portal and a couple other guys sat down with Chris hero, Claudio and a few other guys. And we were just asking about the school and then, you know, they gave us the information, they gave us the prices. I was still in high school um, going into college pretty soon. So, you know, the money was really tight, but I made it work. I made it, uh, you know, I took loans out from the college in order to pay it off, but that was it. That was a long story was, you know, that's how we got into finding the wrestling school was through backyard wrestling and Tommy Cairo. And uh, being inspired by the Best of the Best tournament that CZ, CZW had put out um, that year.
0: It's so interesting because so many people, you know, we've talked to do back, had done backyard wrestling as well. And what a lot of people don't understand, is there's a lot of work that goes into that. You know, we talked to uh, a couple different people who said when they were in high school, they were starting to wrestle as well. And in shop class, they would go ahead and, and start building their ring. And it was like, Mm. there's such a level of dedication when you find out there's something that you have a passion of that it's it's undeniable and you just keep going and going and going and it it pays off. So you find the school. What was training like in the beginning? Did you find that you took to the training at the school uh, like a duck to water or was there a situation where there were some growing pains?
1: no man it was so natural I think watching wrestling my entire life it was like muscle memory I remember the first day and like being a shooter I'm like I'm a shooter like even though some people would be like oh I wrestled I wrestled my entire life I do judo and jujitsu now like just to challenge myself more so uh going from shooting to you know pro wrestling a lot of people had a lot of difficulty i really didn't i was i was super athletic and super spongy meaning i was listening to everything that they were saying and i remember me and ophidian uh we were given the mini maximos because of our names and and our abilities to you know move around in the ring um so that was always really cool that we were given a nickname right away on the first on the first day that we were there uh the guy knew, knew that we did backyard wrestling so they knew you know not that we had experience but we were comfortable in the ring. We were comfortable throwing our bodies around like as a professional wrestler should. And, uh, you know, day one practicing springboards, jumping out of the ring, just really pushing ourselves to really like, you know, see what we can do. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it it was just like a duck in the water, just super easy. Um, always wanting to learn like even till today, I'm still learning. Like I I love teaching, but I still love learning something brand new or incorporating something from like MMA or Jiu-Jitsu or judo and putting it into pro wrestling, especially mixing it with my style. But, um, the training, I loved it. I did really do. I really did love that. We trained uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, um, over at the ECW arena. So I would go from uh, Jersey area, Camden, New Jersey, all the way, to uh, the Philadelphia area, which is like 10, 15 minutes uh, over the bridge. But uh, we would do that twice a week, sometimes three. And they had a beginners and a, an advanced class, but because of our level, we went straight for the beginners and the advanced class. We did both uh starting week one. Like we did it, we didn't really maybe stay in 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 uh beginners class one for you know a couple months or whatever it is, and then be graduating to to the advanced class, they saw something special in us right away. And out of the three of us who started, I was the youngest one uh, to, to start and debut. So um, to me, that was kind of like a chip on my shoulder. Like, well, these guys are older and they got more experience, but you know, I got the, the more heart and I'm going to make it,
0: you know, What did the family think about uh, you going and and doing all this? I know sometimes families are super supportive, which it seems like yours probably would. And there's some parents who were like, oh, no, you're going to get hurt. You're going to break your neck, et cetera, et cetera. What was your family's response when you decided, you know what, this is definitely not just something that I have a passion about, but it's something I'm actually physically going to do now uh, on a professional level?
1: Yeah, I think early on from 94, they knew I was going to do it. Like they, they, everything, I was obsessed with wrestling and I still am. So I think no matter what, they knew that I was going to do it with their blessing or not. I ended up uh, not really getting a lot of support from my mom. Uh, my father was murdered when I was younger, so he wasn't really that much in the picture. I did have a stepfather. Uh, but I actually got more support from my sister and my older sister and my um, my grandparents because they were the ones that really exposed me to wrestling. So they were the first ones to give me my first pair of boots that I still have upstairs, you know, almost, oh, my gosh, almost 18 years ago. So it was, uh, you know, I didn't really have a lot of support, but I didn't really need a lot of support because I always felt then and now that your biggest supporter has to be you and yeah. only you. You know, only you is gonna get up from from bed to get your ass to the gym or, and get your ass to training and to shows and all that other stuff. So uh I never really depended on anybody and I don't like that idea of depending on everybody. Um even when I edit my own videos, we talked about it like 10 minutes ago. Like I like to do it myself just because if it sucks, at least I did it and you know, I, I if it sucked and somebody else did it, I would be so mad that I paid somebody to give me something that sucked, you know, at least me. Uh uh it's on me, you know? So I always wanted to be on me, on my terms.
0: A lot of accountability. Uh, it seems like you're very prideful when it comes to not only oh, yeah. your work, but the way you carry yourself. And it, it's, it's eminent in, in you, everything that you do, because when people are confident, you can see it. You don't even have to hear what they have to say. They carry it with the way they walk and then obviously the way they talk. And it's a lot of times it isn't what necessarily somebody says, but it's what somebody does. You know, Mm -hmm. like the actions speak louder than words. So when you're going through all this training, we often like to ask the question to different uh, to wrestlers as far as etiquette. Now, obviously, times have changed since day one when you were in the business to now. What was the etiquette like? What was instilled in you as far as was it? Hey, you know what? Always introduce yourself to people, shake hands, ingratiate yourself. Or was it, you know what? Know your place, know your lane sit down get your stuff ready and wait to be called upon what was the thought process when you first got in there as far as etiquette within the wrestling industry
1: for sure i mean most of the etiquette stuff that i i encountered and was installed was more like the pay your dues kind of thing um you know, if the locker room's dirty at the end, clean it. Yep. Like you said, come shake everybody's hand and make sure everybody knows that you're there. You're, you you don't want somebody to be like, Oh, that guy never said hi to me today. And then now he wants to come and say hi a couple hours later. Um, you know, obviously have good gear, not don't have smelly gear. But other than that, a lot of the other stuff um, was not really installed into me until I figured it out on my own, or I went out and experienced it. For example, um, you know, the etiquette of like contributing to, re- uh, to pro wrestling trips, like on the road for, there was one trip that we did a trip from, uh, Philadelphia to Indiana, wrestle for Mitch Ryder, And on the way back, you know, again, we never talked about money or anything, but one of the trainers was like, okay, well you owe me, you know, this much money for the gas. And, uh, to me that was like, whoa, okay. Well, in a different adult situation that would not have gone down, like we should have talked earlier, but, Again, I'm gonna know my role here, and I know my placement. I'm patient. I already, I already manifest my entire career. I know what it's gonna look like. So I know this moment right now is not for me to, uh, you know, poke at you. I'm gonna, I'm going to accept my role and uh, move on because later on, I know that's gonna, it's gonna be paid forward, or you know, I'm gonna give it that to somebody else. Maybe not that same way, but uh, the lesson that I learned from that you know, I would pay it off to somebody else. So a lot of the etiquette has changed though. Now today where a lot of guys, especially when that locker room is like 30, 40 deep, you don't want to go shake everybody's hand and everybody doesn't want to go shake your hand either. You know, it's just too many cats, too many people. Um, me personally, I'm, I don't mind it. I, I don't like people seeing me or, uh, thinking of me as being rude, I'm a very open person. Um, but if I don't like you, I don't like you know. I don't like you. I'm not gonna, you know, beg for your for your uh, acceptance, you know, kind of thing. But uh, other than that, yeah, right now it's just a, a completely different beast on the independent scene when it comes to etiquette and and drive. But um, at the end of the day, you know, everybody's still pretty much respectful. Everybody pretty much knows what they contribute to the show and to pro wrestling. And um, it really isn't that crazy of a, of a drastic change right now, in my opinion, at least.
0: Would you say that you were also of the belief of if you're in the car and you're not booked for a show, still go, still be ready, still have your stuff ready? Because we've heard from several wrestlers that you never know if, if somebody's plane flight's delayed or somebody gets sick or something that you could very much have a spot there. Do you believe in that, uh, no pun intended, to always be ready, uh, even if you're not booked, just to make show to show people that, you know what, I can step in when called upon? For sure.
1: For me personally, in my in my point of my career, I would never get in a car right now and be like, oh, I'm going to go to a show and hang out. And I I, rather, I value my time more than that uh, at right now in my, time, in my part of my life and my career. I'd rather spend time with my family or stay home and, and really get that mental break from wrestling that I need. However, um, I do recommend that to any young cat, especially now, whenever whenever I'm in the East Coast, I always mention, like, hey, I'm in the East Coast. If anybody wants to come and hang out and, and help out at the shows that I'm at, maybe help sell merch or whatever. Um, you know, I'll definitely, you know, vouch for you if you're that kind of person and I really do believe in your ability. There's always gonna be somebody that's gonna vouch for for uh, your ability, uh, whether it's on the independent scene or even in WWE, you know, a big company like that, having somebody, uh, one of your boys in a higher up position helps you out, you know, in all aspects, whether to get you booked or just, you know, the chopping block, whatever the case may be, being somebody's boy is, um, you know, detrimental. So yeah, being ready and and always going to a show, especially with your fa- friends, friends, is always going to be a good thing. Good learning experience. If you come out of it, oh man, I didn't get booked or, or I didn't get no contacts. You have to come out of it positive. Like, oh, okay. I didn't get booked, but I made a contact or I networked with this person or I met that person. And now I have that web, this, the Spider-Man web that I have. I, I write, I'm writing in my book right now too. And I have the spider web effect where like our webs of networking have to be much bigger than, you know, our social media because if not, then where are we really networking? We're really not networking anywhere. We're just stuck in one bumble, one bubble, but um, in my, in my opinion, that's where, that's where we're at on that topic.
0: When you go ahead and you, you graduate from the the school and you're going to go ahead and start taking bookings and whatnot, what's that like as far as, you know, what were some of the steps that you took to decide, you know what? did they teach you how to contact like you said before networking or was that something you just it seems like that would be something you would take upon yourself to like i'm already going to be prepared to know who to talk to or who to get a hold of or was there somebody who you know kind of was a guidance in that
1: no honestly no i don't think anybody really i think they they always said hey you should reach out but never said how or to who I don't know if it was because they were scared of somebody taking their spot or their money. I don't know what the case is, but a lot of that again is very self-taught. You know, trial and error. Send an email. If it gets a response, what kind of response does it get? Do I need to tweak my email for the next person to get a different response, or or things like that? And um, it was all very scary because it's all very new. You're trying to get. uh, You're you're doing a weekly job interview. You know, at at different places. I never like to stay at one place at. You know the, the idea of being in demand or scarce in that in one area to me is intriguing. So that's why I always try to work as many companies as I could. Uh, but I also had to talk to many companies and a lot of promoters. Uh, Some of them I'm still friends with today. And even then, even now, I'm still having sometimes a difficult time talking to promoters, whether they're too scared to talk to me uh, for whatever reason, money, or they don't know I speak English, or they just don't know how to contact me. They think I live in Mexico, whatever the case is. Um, Even now, it's still a a troubling thing. And I think, and I'm going to say it on here, I think it's because everybody's scared to talk to each other like men. Yeah. I, I don't understand why men hold companies, but don't don't you know hold them like men. I would always talk to WWE officials, Laurinaitis, Vince, the same way I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to them cowardly. I never kiss ass. I never you know, please, sir. I would really like not. No, I'm not. That's not me. That's not the uh, the person I am. And me personally, if I saw somebody talk to me like that, I would eat them alive because I would be a shark. I'd be like this guy doesn't have the balls enough to to take the ball, you know, to a pro wrestling. So why would I give him the ball right now? He's talking to me as a child, a submissive person, uh, rather than like a man with a purpose and, and and like you said, confident. So um, you know, don't mistake that confident for ego because there's no ego, especially when you're trying to contribute uh to back to wrestling, you know, like I am, and a, a lot of other a lot of us are. So a lot of that is self taught, a lot of that's trial and error um the math person in me that's what i ended up going to school for math the math person in me likes the the idea of problem solving or or finding the best solution for a a system of equations or whatever the case is and this this particular equation is talking to promoters and, and trying to get booked
0: when it comes to that obviously knowing your value and that's a big thing now do you think a lot of wrestlers in the beginning, especially when you were starting to break in, know what someone's value is? Or do you feel like, once again, that's that's a situation of it only comes over time, meaning, hey, you know what? This is what my fee is going to be. This is what I need to take care of as far as transportation, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you feel like some people are more meek when it comes to like that? And that kind of spreads around and therefore they do get taken advantage of, or they don't get as many opportunities because they're not forthright in what they're looking for.
1: For sure. Uh, Quality over quantity, right? Whenever, whenever I was younger, a lot of guys would always be like, you know, there's not a lot of money in wrestling. You're probably going to wrestle for free. Maybe get a 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there. You take what you can get. Okay, Cool. And then at one point, it's like, man, this kind of sucks. Why am I doing this? This is not fun anymore. No, the answer is no, I'm not doing that. That's what ended up happening with, with Chikara, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I just said, no, I'm not doing that. And at that moment, I valued my time and my worth more than I valued wrestling, you know? It's not about money to me. It really has never been about money. And we'll talk about my WWE career, I'm sure. I left a lot of money on the table. It's never been about money to me. It's always been about my pride and and what I'm going to, my legacy in, in pro wrestling to myself, not anybody else. Uh, but the moment that I said no, my whole life changed. I realized, again, it's not about the money. But if somebody wants to have my services, my personality, my ability you know, to, to draw and captivate your audience, you know, this is what it's gonna be. And if they can't do it, the answer is I'm okay saying no. You know, as a man, I think we have to say no. You know, it's okay to say no. As professional wrestlers or or people in pro wrestling, whether you're announcer or whatever, the it's okay to say no. All right. The worst that's gonna happen is they say okay and find somebody else, or they put you back in the spot that you want with the 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 requirements that you want, you know. So I think um the moment that I said, no, I found my value. And ever since then, like I said, it's always been about my time, my time being more valuable than money. So when it comes to wrestling, if it's not benefiting wrestling first or me second, you know, because when I say me, it's me and my family, but notice I put wrestling first, um, you know, then the answer is no. And I think a lot of guys, a lot of young cats right now are very hungry that it's okay that they're just biting the bullet and they're traveling eight hours and all that. But I think promoters, I think it starts with the promoters. They need to stand up and they need to uh, take accountability uh, when it comes to this. Because if a, a multi million dollar company isn't allowing guys to drive eight hours after a show, after 12 o'clock, because they know it's a, it's a, uh, health issue, then why are we doing it to these young wrestlers driving eight, 10 hours, getting paid zero to 20 bucks or whatever the case is. Um, and, and, you know, driving right back around because you don't want to get them a hotel or spend uh, the extra 80 bucks on a cheap hotel for them. Like, you don't want to be the reason why on the news the next day, three wrestlers are crashed at three o'clock in the morning because you didn't want to get them a hotel for being cheap, you know? But uh, again. As a wrestlers, hey, ask for that. Hey, I need a hotel. Could you get me a hotel? No, that's bad. I need a hotel, right? Right to the point. So I always I always word my statements so that way, one, it benefits both people. It can't just benefit one person, but it has to benefit both, both people.
0: That makes a lot of sense because if, if people don't speak up and – respect their time. As you mentioned before, promoters are going to continue to take advantage of people. They will try to get away with whatever they can, but it's until the boys and girls decide to say, Hey, you know what? This is what we want. This is what we, we deserve. Then things will never change. And I I feel like that's kind of the theme right now. Would you agree?
1: I think so too. In fact, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say who the promoter or promotion was, but I actually had a promoter I worked for not that long ago before WWE and recently. Um, So like, uh, that's probably one of the difficult parts is wrestling for a friend or somebody I've wrestled for before. But uh, one of the issues I had asked, I said, Hey, I have really bad time anxiety when it comes to traveling. And uh, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z on show day, especially coming in the day of, like, could you fly me in the day before? I'll take the last flight. I don't care. I'll, I'll come in at twelve o'clock at night. I just need a hotel room and, and that flight. And it became an issue. It really did become an issue. And I was like, bro, you contacted me. Like, you asked me what I needed, right? And I asked you. Like, it's not like I'm like saying, hey, I need to go in there the day before to go party. Like, I'm doing it because I'm trying to give you the best version of myself. Absolutely. And, and, and you're being uh, stingy over eighty bucks uh over the hotel. I said, listen, and, and I hate pulling this card, but I said everybody on your show that you have, like on the card, combined on I have combined more followers and could get you more views and hits off of one account than you know all of these other cats. But at the end of the day, you're treating me like a jabroni and I and I'm not going to be treated like a jabroni. I'm not coming. I'm not I don't need to show up. I don't need to. I, I don't need to come in there and do good business for you when you're not doing good business for me. And um Two days later, homie hit me back up, apologizing, uh, saw it my way. But again, it was a compromise. You know, it was a very good compromise. I wasn't uh, asking him to pay my whole fee, but I'm just asking him, you know, I I hooked you up with my fee, but you got to hook me up with like some accommodations that I need. (laughs) I'm not asking for a first class. I'm not asking for, you know, a ton of money. Uh, But just know that with my services, I'm going to give you 120%, but I
0: I need what I need too, you know? But you, you, you often, you said this before, about problem solving, right? you need to help me out, but I can help you out. I think a lot of people, they just simply complain instead of coming to the situation with a solution or a remedy to something. And I like that aspect of it that you say, you know what, let's go ahead and let's try to figure it a way that this works for you and me instead of just saying, hey, this is not going to work for me. And then obviously things becoming very tenuous and potentially a place that you might not want to go back to, even if it's a really good booking. For sure, for sure. And one of the one of the words that I
1: think you just used, they used the wrong C word right? They complain instead of using the right C word compromise. There's always a compromise. Uh, there's I hundred percent believe there's always a compromise, especially in the world of wrestling. And when I learned that from WWE, you know, when they were giving me something like a script or something, I'm like, man, this sucks. Is there anything that we can do? And sometimes the answer would be no, but when you hit them with that word compromise, it puts them in a bad spot because if they're not willing to compromise, then they're doing bad business. And if they're doing bad business, then I don't need to be there.
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's, uh, it's a quick way to be able to weed out whether people or not are willing to work with you or whether they're willing to, to dictate to you. And I mm-hmm. feel like in any working relationship, it's got to be 50-50 or it's it's definitely not going to work. Um L- let's talk i believe 51 <laughs> in wrestling though <laughs> gotta have a little bit of an edge right Fifty
1: one forty nine. yeah i mean like you know i'm bring- i'm coming in i'm doing what you want me to do but right. like at the end of the day i gotta it's i'm the artist and you're giving me the canvas with you know the tools that i need but just know like I- i'm in the ring and i see it a certain way and i'm not saying like oh well he wants him to win like oh, i don't believe it no i'm saying like the the overall feeling that we're going to get, I'm going to create on my own and with the other guy. Uh, but the promoter, you know, uh,
0: be a promoter, stay over there. (laughs) (laughs) They need to stay in their lane as well. Um, Let's talk about Chikara Uh, is such a really, really well-known and and respected uh, promotion. Obviously now Camp Leapfrog as well. A lot of different people have come out of that. The one thing about Chikara that I thought was really interesting was, you know, the Orange Cassidys and the Colt Cabanas and whatnot. There was a lot of theatrics that were used within Chikara. And it seems like, was that an aspect of the promotion that made you really gravitate and interested in it because it was something that was a little bit different?
1: No, I didn't know anything about Chikara until CZW and Chikara split. So when we went to that CZW show, Chikara and the CZW uh, wrestling school was combined. And legit, maybe two weeks later, they split. And nobody had told me and, and Osirian Porto and a couple other guys. And um, the week after that was the first Chikara show that I went to. So I was like, well, what is this? And and I realized, like, oh, this is kind of like Lucha Libre, just Americanized. Um, and then I realized it wasn't like really Lucha Libre, but it was American wrestling with like mass wrestlers. But, um, yeah, I didn't really know anything about Chikara until like that one incident, like the split. And then when Jorge, uh, Skyda came and Pantera came, that's when I started gravitating to them because, uh, even though I was at the Chikara wrestling factory, I was, uh, doing, you know, training and seminars with other guys, uh, including Skyda and Jorge, um, just because I was, they were authentic and I wanted to learn from authentic guys. I didn't want to learn from guys who went down to Mexico and learn a couple of things. I wanted to learn from the, 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 source, you know? So I already knew Pantera from, from the WWF days when he was in wrestling talk in the light heavyweight division and, uh, Skyda, I knew from watching, you know, show, uh, tapes of Mexico. So it was kind of like a no brainer that I was having this Lucha Libre WWF influence, right? And then this authentic Lucha Libre influence as well. And it just so happened to be at the Chikara school. And they took they took a liking to me. They brought me down to Mexico a couple of times uh, without any of the guys from Chicara, Just because, again, they saw something in me. They, they knew that I appreciated the culture. And uh, I, it wasn't in there just for the money. I was in there just, you know, I was in it to win it.
0: You're in there for passion and wanting to as they say, the cream rises to the top. And it seems like this comes back to early in our conversation. When you're driven and you want something, you will find avenues and ways to make yourself stand out and to shine. And people will see that. And that's how you end up uh, getting noticed and getting more opportunities. Let me throw out uh, Mike Quackenbush. What was your relationship like with him and, and what's your thoughts on him?
1: Which version do you want? You want the PG or not PG.
0: It, i'm an open
1: book so you tell me what you want
0: you know what i'll take uh the non pg then
1: okay then he's a piece of shit i'll tell you that uh is he a great wrestler yeah i i'm not gonna lie he's good at replicating other great wrestlers but there is no mike quackenbush like there's no mike quackenbush style unique to him and not only to him i'm talking about other wrestlers They're good at replicating other great wrestlers. As a person, though, again, you want the not PG version? And I've said this to him before. He can get these hands. Rated E for everyone. Uh, There was a lot of business stuff that I did not like. Again, as a a student coming into a school, and I, I take this outside of wrestling too, a professional wrestling school is only supposed to teach you how to be a professional wrestler, and that includes not to hurt anybody and not to get hurt. They're not there to teach you how to be you or teach you how to be a professional like uh, social media guru and all that. In fact, that wasn't even a thing at that point. They're really just there to teach you how to be a pro wrestler and not how to hurt anybody and not how to get hurt. Other than that, all these other schools are given false advertisements. They're given false Ad- admirations to all these other young cats, right? False hope that they're going to give them this and that. And that's what Mike uh, ended up doing to a lot of guys. Uh, a lot of guys, if they ended up leaving the day that I left, the day that I said no to Mike, uh, they would have been stars. They would have been in WWE. They would have been in TNA. They would have been in much better places uh, that they're in now. But Mike is really good at being Mike, you know, a manipulator uh a promoter and when i say manipulate i mean promoter he's really good at feeding you the spoon and holding the spoon you know you can't you can't eat unless it's off of this spoon and uh i saw that very early on and like i said i'm i'm not one to kiss ass or anything and i think he saw that in me that i wasn't gonna coward or i'm not gonna you know be his best friend or the best student and be like this is my trainer like no bro show me how to be a wrestler and i'm gonna fucking run it out uh, everywhere else around the world so um, i will say the one incident that really turned me off on him was when i got hurt in 2007 at the ecw arena i knocked myself out um the semi main event ended up being the main event there was a lot of things going on that day that was just bad and he could have controlled that and then at the end of the day when it came time to you know he never checked on me he never checked on me and he asked me for money, like he asked me what I want to do with the mask. Do I want to put it toward my medical bills or do I want it uh, you know, toward uh tuition or something? And I to me, I was like, if this is what you think of me, right? You almost died in your ring. And this is the first thing out of your mouth as an adult. I'm at- kiss my ass. You are no longer, you are no longer getting the attribute or the accolation that I'm a part of your group. No, I'm I'm a man, and now I'm going to treat you how I uh, treat other men I don't respect. And um, it went about maybe three more years after that. Maybe, yeah, three more years because in 2010, I had made the decision to move to Florida to help my grandma move, and I was having a child. I was paying for my flights because quack didn't want to pay for me. He didn't, he didn't think I was worth it. I got the emails to prove it too. Uh, he didn't think I was worth it. And, uh, he was only paying me 20 bucks. I'll tell you straight up. He would only pay 20 bucks to people. So it was a wintertime event at, in uh, somewhere Barnesville, no, Hellertown, maybe, maybe Barnesville, some, somewhere's like obscure in PA. And I said, Hey man, look, I got my ticket for King of trios next month but it's already snowing in your area. And I got a kid and all this other jazz. I I just don't think I could do it this month. That motherfucker hit me back up. He said, well, if you don't make it this month, don't bother coming to King of Trios. Good luck making money. Okay. Okay. So we went on. Hey, never heard from him then, right? Never heard from him that, like he legit stopped messaging me that day and had sent out a vast message to all the boys, but forgot to take me off the email, pretty much bashing me. I said, all right, cool, man. As he does everybody else, everybody who who goes against quack, he bashes. Look at Mitch Ryder, right? I'm patient. I'm patient and petty. I'm not going to lie. I'm a vengeful motherfucker. I'm a vengeful person. So I said, I'm going to get you one day, whether it's by words or these hands that are rated E for everyone. I'm going to get you one day. There was an incident while I was in WWE, he was doing a GCW show in Louisiana, and I had texted a promoter that I was close with. I said, "I'm showing up. Make sure that motherfucker don't leave because I'm kind of we we need to talk. I need to have words with him. I don't want to hit him, but I I'll just want to talk." He skedaddled before I showed up. Okay, we show up to WWE. He's he's a, a guest trainer, cons, cons, whatever the hell he was. Uh, Ended up getting fired from that job for being fucking weird, too, and and just being Mike. But anyway, I text um, Albert Bloom. I said, hey, I don't feel comfortable with this dude working here because he's dodging me. I need to have a meeting with him. I will come to NXT. I was already on the main roster making that money quack. I'll come to NXT and go to the meeting and have a conversation with him. And you could be in the room so you know I don't fuck him up. We set it up. He messages me can't make it. Sorry. Uh, I had some things going on, but he was, he was worried about some other stuff. I said, you're a piece of shit, bro. All right. I'm gonna get you. And then like two days later he got fired or something, uh, for, for just being him. And then when all that, uh, when all that stuff came out and I thought I was done with him, I said, you know what? He got fired from WWE. He'll never be at the place that he said I'll never be at, or all my other friends will never be at, but I proved him wrong. But when all that stuff came out and he put out that lame ass apology, and I, I remember the moment I legit stopped the video. I said, this guy's fucking lying. This guy is lying right now saying that if I ever hurt you and, and you know, I, re- I want to reach out to you. I said, you're a liar. You never reached out. You're fucking avoiding all the men who really want fucking words with you. Right, and all the friends and all the other guys that you brought back because they're all ass kissers. Like I'm the one that really just wants to have some words. What's up? You're a liar. You're a piece of shit. And no, I don't believe you. This guy's false. So that's where I stand on Mike Quackenbush. If you if you ever see my Twitter and you ever see anything with the duck because I'm in the Northeast area, that's who I'm looking for. That's the dude I'm looking for. And uh, hey, if you're watching this Quizac, trust me, all your friends, all your all your students. They already know. They already tell me where you at. And you lucky my ass has not showed up. But know that I'll be in that northeast area all the time, dog. I'm looking for your ass.
0: So let me ask you, after everything had gone down with that, did you find that other people started to change their take on Mike as well? Or do you feel like? A lot of people still either feared him or revered him or, or, you know, felt like I think a lot of people thought he was.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people thought he was going to make a comeback and and a lot of people were going to be like, all right, well, Quack's going to come back with another company because he's producing. I'll put it out there. I know he's producing because people have sent me emails and text messages like if you guys don't feel comfortable with Quack being here because he's a producer. Get that motherfucker out of your show. Get him out. Get his ass out. He don't need to be at no show. No, no, no. Especially when I'm there. Hell no. Ask somebody else who's actually done something in wrestling and made some money in wrestling. Ask somebody else for help uh, because I'm sure they'll give you the spoon instead of holding that bitch. But I had conversations with a lot of my friends from Jakara, even recently, that I told them. I said, if you would have left in 2010 when Jakara had no stars, had no draws, they were just rebuilding, Like they got what they wanted out of you. Go get your money out. Some go go be something. Go be what you wanted to be—a professional wrestler, not a Chakara superstar—and that's what ended up a lot of people being uh, a Chakara superstar, uh, uh, a cornerstone of a small promotion that at now has a bad reputation because of the the promoter, you know. But we all knew how shitty and shady he was um from back in the day, and all this all this stuff. But like I said, men are just some men are scared to be men and some of us aren't
0: when it comes to you had mentioned you know looking at a school and some schools they promise things that just really aren't realistic Uh, that's not going to happen and you mentioned that when it comes to being trained as a professional wrestler the thing is to be trained to be safe to know how to do the moves properly and it's, it's a relationship where you want the fundamentals and then for everything else, you know, I feel like it's a learning process type of thing mm-hmm. about your brand, about how to promote yourself, social media, all of that kind of stuff. But when a promoter says that their school is going to do all these things, I do think that that should make somebody take pause and, and pause and say, you know what, this doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense and overpromising something and not delivering. Obviously that's not good business.
1: But and okay, for example, and I'm not I'm not gonna um anyway I'll, I'll just say it like this. For example, when you go to Harvard, you're paying for the name. Sure,
0: it's the absolutely. same edu-
1: It's the same math education that you would get at Harvard that you would get at Rowan University where I ended Amen. up going. Yep. Right. So these wrestling schools are all the same. Now I could see and I do see some people like, well, I was in WWE. And, and, you know, I got connections or oh, I'm a producer in WWE and I got a wrestling school. You come here and I'll get you an extra work. I'll get you this and that. And, you know, but you got to pay to play. And I'm like, well, I'll pay to learn. Yep. Right. But I want to get paid to pay to play, you know? Um, and I think a lot of guys, they see that, especially if there's like an ex WWE guy or an ex like uh big indie guy who has a wrestling school and got connections with, uh, these other big companies, but the reality is, because I've seen it for years, that most of the times they end up being an extra. And I always tell these guys, like, hey, don't expect anything. They're really it's show day. They're really not focused on on finding the next John Cena or the next this person or that person because they got them. They know exactly where to find them. They know where it's at. They're not going to look at no offense, Jabroni number one through eight who just showed up on this day in, in Nebraska and hoping that they're going to get signed. Like that's just that's not going to happen. That's just realistically. The case when it comes to that kind of thing. And when it comes to schools, it's the same thing. It's just not the case. No place can call a promoter and be like, hey, you got to book this guy because they don't have that pool. They don't have that power in the world of professional wrestling.
0: Let's talk about branding and creating your own persona and creating an image that you want to portray out there for the, the fans and getting that following. How did you go about using social media and obviously you said early on it 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 wasn't there it was non-existent now obviously we're in a more of a digital age where youtube and facebook and twitter and all that kind of stuff is more uh apt for people to use how do you create a brand and how did you go about deciding after you were trained and you had the confidence in what you did all right this is the image i want to portray how did you go about that
1: For sure. Well, I had an edge because I was like an American luchador. So I understood the lucha libre style. So I already brought that style to the American indies, along with like maybe two or three other guys. And um, that already made us unique. And then when it came to, you know, branding, it was like, I made a list of names of all the mass wrestlers in the States or all the mass wrestlers they were bringing over. And this list consisted of like what they were wearing, what their music sound like, what their, was their boots or kick pad kind of guy, like, were they wearing trunks over their tight, everything from everything, every aspect, where they speak in English, where they doing promos. And I just did the opposite. I wanted to do the complete opposite of everything on that list. Uh, a lot of guys were wearing like pleather pants. I said, I'm gonna wear tights with trunks over top, like old school wrestling. Uh, a lot of guys wearing kick pads, I'll, I'll wear boots, you know. Uh, things like that and the ability to talk and really have outshine my personality. Like, you know, a lot of times when people talk to me, they're like, Whoa, I did not expect one for you to speak English, but for you to have this much personality. Uh, But then when I do portray that in the ring times 10 times a hundred, you know, it really does captivate people and and forgets that I'm, I'm not just a luchador that I am a dude um, that can go and has like, you know, personality and stuff like that. Um, Early on, I was making gear, um, I was doing, like I said, animation, I'm sorry. I was doing animation for somebody and me and another wrestler, Ophidian, he was doing a video editing. So between my animation and video editing, we found a guy who made gear and our first set of gear was, you know, bartering a video, a music video for some gear for me and my boy. So a lot of this stuff, you know, That becomes part of your brand. Like, Oh, those are the video guys. or those are the 3d guys. or that's the gear guy, whatever. It all becomes part of your brand to not only the wrestlers, but the fans see it too. Like fans know I make my gear now. And now they, they go on a journey with me once a month or twice a month when I make my gear live on Twitch. And they're like, okay, this is a different side of Lindsay, not just wrestling, not just Lucha. Like I'm really in his house. I'm watching him make gear that, you know, nobody ever watches uh, you do live Um, and things like that. So, Using social media, again, I always try to talk to people as if it was like a conversation. If, if we were next to each other, if they're scrolling through Twitter, it's like if I'm sitting next to them, and that's usually how I put out my thoughts. Um, or, you know, they're just completely random thoughts. You could tell when I'm kind of like in it, too, because I'll like just start tweeting like nonstop a bunch of things or like liking a bunch of stuff. Um, but, yeah, the, right now, too, the social media is a big big game changer. It's another bargaining tool when you try to barter with promoters to bring you in because, you know, again, now they're not only bringing you in for your social or for your abilities, right? They're bringing you in for your social media presence as well for retweets and shares and and, and views and all that. So that's another tool that I like to use uh, against promoters. And if you're a young cat listening to this too, start developing that. So that way audiences promoters businesses want to uh promote on your social media rather than want to promote you um because I'm already promotable you know I don't need to be promoted any more than what I am I'm already an attraction to most of these shows uh because of where I've been and what I've done but now it's like well I want to
0: use you as a catalyst for you know
1: views or, or likes or things
0: like that Well, these promotions definitely want to get the rub, too. They want to have somebody who is so well known and has a a following, a very strong following. And then obviously, you know, parlay that into, hey, guess what? We have them on our show. Therefore, their audience is going to come over to our audience. And then obviously it's going to spread and, and everyone's going to win. But once again, that does factor into compensation as far as because it's more than just this one match that match like you said before could be seen a hundred thousand times that's youtube hits that's money that's twitch people buying more tickets for another show merchandise Mm -hmm. to their website um let's talk about how we kind of segued ourselves into the world of wwe then because i feel like from a maturation standpoint you were ready for wwe way even before this Um, At least just by talking to you, it feels like you knew things, you understood concepts and there was a lot of self-awareness that you could work in a company like that very, very well. How did all of that uh, work when you first were contacted, obviously for the Cruiserweight Classic, and then how that parlayed itself into being a main roster guy?
1: For sure. So WWE, you always hear the idea of like, oh, the WWE style. Well, the WWE style is literally just TV wrestling. And then I believed early on that there was a and can be a perfect blend of WWE wrestling or the WWE style and the indie style, hence Cruiserweight Classic. All those guys were wrestling the WWE style with the influence of the indie style. They're all indie wrestlers that could literally just pop onto a WWE television and be ready. And that's what ended up what happening so we heard rumblings of a tournament global cruiserweight classic that was the original concept and um 32 guys and we were i was like man i need to be in this if this is the time to be in wwe it has to be right now i think i was 27 turning 28 and um I had heard rumblings of this and I, I needed to be in it. So again, didn't wait for anybody to reach out. I just started emailing everybody and anybody. And one of the dudes who kind of helped me out was Sammy Callahan, because I was making gear for a lot of the NXT guys, uh, Sammy Neville, uh, Charlotte Bailey, I was making it for maybe two or three other guys. And, uh, I never am that guy, but I had said, Hey bro, I'm not asking for a word. I just need an email. I'll do the work. And he ended up giving me an email to Regal, um, I believe. I believe it was Regal or maybe it was Seaman Canyon. But I think it was – oh, no, no, it was Canyon. It was Canyon. I'll tell you why. I had emailed him for 14 months straight. That's how that's how early long we heard about this tournament. 14 wow. months uh, before, yeah. And got no email for 14 months, right? 14 months. Every month I send the same email. Hey, my name is Bam. I'm local. Blah, 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 blah. On the 14th month, he hits me back up. If we wanted you, you would know. I said, oh. cool. hey, No, 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 no. A lot of dudes would be like, damn, that's messed up. I said, nah, I'm in the system. My my email's not going to spam. He knows who I am. When they need me, because they're going to need me. I manifested this. I know they're going to need me. He knows how to contact me. Uh, two weeks later, get an email. We want you for this tournament. I said, okay. I said, yes, sir. I said, uh, here's my contact, blah, blah, because I asked for some contact that really Inwego was going to call me. So uh, we got all the paperwork. You know, apparently it was guys like Cesaro, Claudio, and Gabe who put me over to the management saying like, hey, this guy is local and he's a really good wrestler. Like, you know, you guys will get a lot of exposure from him. And uh, when we showed up to the first day and and they're giving us our assignments, I'm like, oh, man, like all right, well, my opponent's not here. Uh, he's He no-showed. So that was like a whole big thing. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get like some some bad stuff for this. Uh, but luckily, they gave me a choice between Ali and Mecca Wolf. And I, I didn't feel comfortable wrestling Mecca Wolf because I was like, man, Puerto Rico versus Puerto Rico, that's kind of shitty. Uh, at least we could do Ali. And I've wrestled Ali before, and I know we could have a bomb-ass match uh, in the time that they gave us, which ended up being the shortest amount of time too. But we didn't care because we knew we would kill it. And um, After the first match that we had, everybody loved it. Um, Everybody was just like kissing our ass for it. Uh, But again, we weren't getting offered any contracts, even though at the end of the day, we saw about like 10 or 16 people get offered. So that's about half the crew right there. But we weren't offered. So I was like kind of salty about it. And I was like, man, what didn't they like? So that kind of ate me alive for about a couple of weeks. I was making Bailey's gear. Um, in July, for getting ready for SummerSlam in my two bedroom townhouse that I had, and um, my little table I'd sold for my daughter, I use it as a sewing machine table, and I was making her gear there on there. And my phone started vibrating, it was a 203 number, and I was like, What the hell is this? I've never seen this number before in my life. And I pick it up so rude, I'm like, Hello, who's this? And he's like, Hey, this is Darren. I'm like, Who? He's like, Darren. Uh, William Regal I said hold on one second I didn't know his name was Darren
0: I said
1: <laughs> I said Mr Regal you got to I got to apologize for my brother uh, he was kind of rude how can I help you yeah I just blamed it on my fake brother smart um,
0: smart so mode. uh
1: he had asked me if anybody had meant, or had any anybody had hit me up about uh, hiring me as far as outside of WWE and I told him a couple places that were that were legit interesting I was going to go to underground for a little bit Uh, But he said, you know, after the second round, at least listen to what we got to say and, you know, make your decision after that. I said, yeah, I could do that. Knowing damn well, no matter what they were going to offer me because I was a teacher at that time. If they offered me one dollar more, I would have took it, you know, uh, my teacher's salary. So uh, we're leading up to the uh, second taping and uh, TNA hits me up and they don't ask me to come in to for a job. They come in for me to you know do a match with Mandrews. And uh, I didn't want to do it as Lindsay, but I did him as my other character, Balum, which is like a full body suit. I wrestle as a Rudo or a heel, a bad guy in Mexico. And I saw Russell as that. And we had a banger match. It's actually online. If you look it up, Balam versus uh, Manders. And to the point where they offered me a contract. That was a Tuesday. The taping for WWE is Thursday, three days later. On that Tuesday, without even walking into WWE, I looked at Snow and whoever else was there. I think it was Bruce, actually. And I said, thank you for this opportunity, but I'm going to get signed by WWE. I know it. And like, that was it. Like the next day or the next, uh, that Thursday I showed up, I wrestled Rich Swan, And, um, that night I got my name called July 24th, uh, 11th, 24 PM. I'll never forget it. Uh, got my name called and I said, yep, whatever you guys want, I got it. And, um, long story short, I only spent 14 days in, in NXT between live events and training. And, um, we found out that we were going to be on raw and have our own show when Stephanie McMahon announced it on raw and every cruiserways texting each other. Did you see that? Did you hear that? Are we going to be on Raw? what, what the heck what's going on? And yeah, Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. We uh, debuted in September. Um, I think it was a four way. And that night we were supposed to go home the next day, but road dog had asked me and Rich Swan. If we wanted to go drive to Birmingham, Alabama for a main event, uh, for the taping before SmackDown. And we didn't know anything about changing flights or cars and all that. And this is when we realized like WWE got money. Cause they were like, Oh no, we'll just cancel it. And we'll get you new flights and cars and all that. And we're like, Holy shit. You guys got money like that. Okay. I guess. So yeah, we ended up, uh, uh, being the first
0: cruiserweights to
1: wrestle on main event and, uh, you know, basically travel on the road, me and Swan
0: what's going through your mind at this point. I mean, I, you, you said you manifest these types of things and and it's one of those things where it's like, you're always really positive. And it, I'm really glad you clarified this between confidence and cockiness, because I'm not getting any cockiness, but I'm getting the feeling with you that you're very, um, sound and you're very confident in who you are and what you can offer the table and the bullshit walks. So now you're in a situation that you've always really wanted to be in, So what's going through your head at this point? Do you think, you know what? I definitely can see myself having a home here for a long time.
1: I thought, I thought I was going to be there for a long time. I honestly thought I was going to be, I thought I felt, even though inside I was kind of like fanboying outside, I was definitely professional and, and holding my own, even if I was walking into the room with greatness you know jericho undertaker all those other guys that i've looked up to that i've had amazing interactions with uh backstage uh, because of wrestling you know jericho watched a match with me and metallic where we did a double moonsault uh simultaneously in sync and he pulled us in the back and was like "Well, that was the most incredible thing ever i've ever seen but don't do it on main event and uh like to me i was like dude that's a dude that like i looked up to telling me that he liked my stuff and like, take her, you know, sharing a locker room with him by accident, um, and him being so nice and, and saying, "No, nah, just come hang out with us, uh, me and Ali." Like, I'll never, you know, I I was an equal to these guys, you know, and that's how I carried myself as an equal, um, never giving them the indication that I was a fanboy or you know, really like, just was so happy to be there. Like, I deserved to be there because I worked hard, but I also wanted to be there uh, with these guys. And um, my mindset, man. I was, like, such in a good mood. Every every time, it never felt like work. And then the moment that it did feel like work, that's when my mind changed. But it never felt like work. And it was, like, I just wanted to be – I just wanted to use that platform to showcase what I can do in and outside
0: the ring, you know? So – So you are succeeding right now. You're getting a lot of attention from people uh, backstage, which has got to be really, really good and really gratifying to knowing that, you know, I felt this way about myself for so long, but then obviously to have, once again, other people who I revered and have respect for to reciprocate that as well. And it definitely instills, I'm doing the right things. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do to position myself the best as possible. And then lucha house party it's got to feel really really good because not very often do people get their own factions in their own Mm. groups but you definitely had that opportunity talk to me about that and what that was like finding out that you know you're a stable now so that was my idea
1: all of that was my idea the shirt was my idea uh putting us together was my idea i had got sent home for four months prior to that for something that happened uh standing my ground not, nothing bad, but just standing my ground. I need a little cool off. And when I got back, I realized Metallic and uh, Kalisto weren't really doing anything. But they all had something that one of us was missing. To me, I knew Kalisto for a while. And I was like, man, what I don't have, you have. And what you don't have, I have. And I just thought like we would have been the perfect triangle of a group. I said, you know what? Put all the Luchas together. Like We've never seen an all-Lucha group Um that was all mass and that could talk and do stuff and really captivate the audience. Uh, put us together and we'll be like the Power Rangers of WWE or the Charlie Angels of WWE or the Ninja Turtles of WWE, where we all have unique attitudes and personalities, but together we're one badass team. And uh, that was the idea. But then one day we had a meeting with Vince, uh I believe going into Money in the Bank, and one of the brothers had brought in the pinata, and now it just went from lucha house party ass kickers and cool guys to pinata dudes. And I was like, ah, here's the writing on the wall. So we dug ourselves into a hole that anytime I I went to go dig us out or, you know, one of us would dig us out. The other one was uh, digging in the same hole, but throwing the dirt back in it. So it just, we weren't going anywhere. And uh, it could have been awesome, man. It really could have been awesome. uh, Especially being separated from Rey Mysterio on his show on, on SmackDown It could have just been something very much unique and something like so different. But the beast, beast knows what it wants, man. Beast knows what it needs. And when you're Disney, you know, you only need one princess. You don't need a bunch of princesses, you know,
0: unless you want to sell merch. Do you feel like in a lot of ways, and I'm not trying to single out WWE, but maybe some other companies, but WWE to a larger extent really plays into these classic stereotypes And I've had conversations with other wrestlers specifically refraining to WWE as far as the way they look at luchadors or the way they would look at a a team like Crime Time or, you know, it was just very stereotypical. Did you ever feel like at a certain point, you you mentioned obviously that the pendulum was swinging, um, that they were ever just, ha ha, this is what we're going to do? Or do you feel like they were really 100% on board with what your vision was? Oh, no, they had a vision what they wanted.
1: I think early on they had a vision what I wanted to do or what I saw us doing. But I think they saw money in that pinata, man, that really just, like, kind of put us in a hole where they're like, okay, now you're going back to being stereotypical. Your guys are now going to be the Lucha guys. Like, every promo had to end with Lucha Lucha where I would look at Metallic and be like, don't do it at the end. Like, let them just count down and, like, have that awkwardness where they have to cut it at a certain point. Um Like I said, WWE is like Disney, and they just need one of everything, whether it's one group of people or they need one person to represent that person. For example, look look what happened when we left, uh, me and Metallic. They just inserted another Hispanic team, um, Garza and and Humberto, and they're in the same role as us. So um, they know they have a plan. They know what they want to do, and they know what their thing is. I don't think it has to do anything really with being stereotypical, but it is a lot of, it's easier to be like, Oh, that guy's Hispanic. He He's Hispanic. He's, that's his character. Like, but when you have a guy like me or metallic or even Kalisto, that can contribute something more than just being a, his, for example, I didn't want to be a, 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 a superstar. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to be a Hispanic superstar. I wanted to be a superstar who happened to be Hispanic. And that was the difference. And there's a they big only, difference there. Yeah. And they only saw me as a Hispanic person.
0: Were they aware that you were also creating gear for other wrestlers at this time as well? Or was that something that was kind of kind of kayfabed on the download just between you and, and the people you were working with?
1: No, I mean they did know because I, I'm close with Mikazi and the sewing, the sewing crew there, the seamstresses there. But um, like anytime anybody would ask me, I'd always say no, just because again, it's my art. I, I I value my time more than that. I don't think anybody has enough money to pay me to make gear for them. I don't care, um, you know, how much it is. I just value my time so much more and I'd rather make stuff for me. Like right now I'm making, I, not only do I make gear, but I make clothes too. I make suits and all that. Like I'm like a three piece suit that I'm making. Um, That's not just like shabby. Like it's really good. Like I, I really do value my detail and, and my time that goes into it. So, um, yeah, I never, I very rarely do I make gear for other people. And if I do right now, it would just be for like a lot of my close friends, like easy projects that I could just, you know, bust it out or help them out because they're really in a bind or they, they have a big show coming up that they feel very passionate about. I'm like, I got you. I'm gonna help you out.
0: Final thoughts on the WWE experience. I mean, obviously in, in one regard, it was a huge moment. I mean, let's go back to watching it with your grandpa on Sundays. You know what I mean? It it feels like there was that it came to fruition. And then there's that other side of it where it's the, oh, like you said before, the beast. So I feel like in some ways it kind of balances itself out. Um, What would you say overall was your, your experience before you officially left? Was it something that clearly was a big monumental moment, but did it also leave you with any bad taste?
1: Nope. No bad taste. Um, The last conversation I had was with John Laurinaitis, and we had a really good conversation. He even said to me, nobody knows my business better than me. And I had said to him, I said, thank you very much. But if this is the best you got, this sucks. (laughs) But thank you. Uh, We won out. And um, if you're a pro wrestler, that job is easy. Super easy. You're doing what you love to do. You're getting paid to work out. You're getting paid to wrestle and travel. Like That job is Easy. But if you're a pro wrestler and creative like me, that job is miserable, especially when you don't compromise. If there was more compromising between both people, um, I think I'd still be there. I left, I left a lot of money. I left a, a year and a half, almost a million dollars on the table. And uh and to me it wasn't worth it. My sanity and my pride is not worth that much money. There's no value that you could put on that. Um, and I'd rather make my own somewhere else.
0: You know, John Moxley had made the same comment before he said in his book and in interviews, he said, you're literally going to make me walk away from this. You're going to make me walk away from this because of the things that the company wanted him to to do as far as promos, what to say instead of allowing the wrestler to inject a lot of who they are into their persona and, and allow that to get over with the audience instead of you know, the backstage determining, okay, this is what you need to do to get over with the audience. Do you feel like if a lot more wrestlers were allowed to be themselves and have more of the creative input, getting over would be a lot smoother? I
1: think so. But I think a lot of guys would be uh, hesitant to be themselves because in that environment, I feel like a lot of people think they have to be a certain, a certain way. And I don't think their true authenticness would come out. I think it still would be sugarcoated. But I think more and more wrestlers, especially the confident ones with the ability to connect with people and and really contribute something, I think those would have an easier transition of being more over. You know, like uh, I'm having that now being free and putting out whatever I want and having people like, oh, wow, what is that? Like very intriguing Um, than I was in WWE that entire time. I was there for six, seven, six and a half years
0: when it comes to obviously wrestling and your entire scope of, of everything that you've done, what would you say was your, your highest moment right now? Meaning the moment that you are most proud of in your career up to this date so far,
1: uh, besides signing, I think that, um, elimination chamber in Philadelphia moment only because of what I had to go through in order to get that moment for me in metallic. um, for instance during pandemic or right before pandemic i felt like we were just being inserted as like hey we need an extra team here because somebody's hurt kind of thing or like hey, we just need the luchas to do one quick spot and get out but uh again i i always saw this as more than that so any opportunity that we had i, I always wanted to take it so when we got our assignment for that elimination chamber match uh, of course you know the luchas were out first and i said you know we need we need i i, I text metallic right away i said they're going to try to eliminate us first, but I want them to talking about me and you after this, uh, this, this pay-per-view. And that's what exactly what we did. And we had to convince, I had to personally convince uh, Vince McMahon to let me jump off the cage because IRS and Jamie Noble thought it was too dangerous. But I said, you know what? This is the only thing that we have here. Like, I don't care if I break my legs. I don't care if I, I break my knees or like, I'm going to do this. Uh, whether you guys like allow me or not. And when I had that conversation with Vince, he, I sold him and I did it. You know, I I wasn't going to do it if he wasn't going to allow me to do it, but I convinced them that I was going to do it. And nobody, nobody's ever going to top that. You know, you could replicate it. You could talk, you could, but nobody's ever going to top that, especially having the night before Jeff Hardy, the most daredevil dude say that he wanted to do something, but he thought it was impossible. What? Like everything else in my life, I make everything impossible possible.
0: I love that. Um, Do you find that being straightforward and, and being the person that you are, your personality and straight being forthright with people, that worked with a relationship with Vince? I feel like that would have been the type of personality that he actually respects. responds to somebody who is like hey this is the way this is going to be this is really what i want instead of hemming and hawing and beating around the bush and may i please have this or that certain people respect people who come forward in a certain way and i think you definitely had that so would you say that was something that helped your relationship with him
1: absolutely and i would always start every conversation with tr or vince like I want to apologize right now, but this is how I'm going to talk. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk like men. I don't, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I apologize if I curse, but this is just how I talk passionately. That's legit what I would just start off by saying and then I would just, you know, talk however I need to. And um there was even points where we didn't want to do something and we had a conversation with Vince and I think it was in um I think it was in Cali for some reason. I want to say Cali. We just came home from a European tour, but instead of going home, we went straight to money in the bank to Russell Lars, and we didn't want to do it. And um, he, they go, Vince wants to talk to you guys. We'll, we'll we'll figure this out. And we went into his office. That was a pretty big room. There was nobody in the room. There was a long walkway to go You know, see him at the end of the, of the room. I see him as soon as I walk through the door, but he's so far. But between him, there's two people. There's Pat Patterson and Paul Heyman. So we're thinking, like, okay, maybe these guys are going to walk out. Well, Pat's not even paying attention. Uh, he, he's in his own little world. But you know, Paul Heyman is Paul Heyman, he's paying attention to everything. And after explaining my, my grief and everything else, you know, Paul Heyman pulled me aside. He's like, You spoke so elegantly that that I'm watching Vince McMahon, and you have captivated him to the point where like he's giving you what you want. And I, I didn't realize it that, that, you know, I didn't realize it the, until the way that he said it. And I did get what I want you know i ended up giving again i'm a businessman and 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 uh you know professional so i ended up doing the match but again there has to be a compromise and they gave me that good compromise because i stood up for it you know a lot of guys would be like oh cool i'm on a pay-per-view i'm doing this and that well no that should don't mean nothing to me like what means something is like my legacy my worth and if if i feel like there's something um you know damaging to that i'm going to correct it and bits always appreciated anytime we had a conversation Um, and I was very straightforward with him. I'd be the one mostly talking to him, me and metallic, um, before, you know, everybody else would would chime in. I didn't, I I feared no man. I feared, I don't fear him. He's just a a dude with, in a position, uh, of a company. That's it. But other than that, like, I fear, I did not fear him at all. I don't see him as, you know, this godlike figure that a lot of cats do. Um, it's just an old dude. No, old dude working out like he works out and he runs a wrestling promotion. Like if you guys could get past that, all the other facade that you see of him is all just that just
0: facade with everything. And, and we won't go into all the things that are going on with the company right now. But um if WWE does go into a different direction, which it may or may not, depending on what all shakes out with all of this, do you feel like that would. Allow with someone like a Triple H and obviously maybe like a Shawn Michaels would step up again and be more involved with a Stephanie and whatnot. Do you think that opportunities would present themselves again? Or do you feel like they have a formula and that formula, no matter who is quote unquote in charge, will stay the same?
1: I think they do have a formula, but I don't think it's like, oh, we can't have these guys in here anymore. Like, there will always be a position for Paul and stuff and all that. But honestly, in my opinion, I think they might eventually sell it. I think eventually they might be like a Disney product for Disney. Like, come see Roman Reigns at Disney and, you know, and things like that. Because at that point when you don't have the driving force or if I was Vince, I knew I wouldn't trust the cats underneath me to to drive my baby, my passion. So what would I do? I would sell it, and I know that at least they couldn't mess it up. Where maybe we do shows at Disney, like or Universals, like uh, WCW did, and then those would become you know product of Disney, like the Randy Ortons, the Undertakers, come see them live at Disney. That's just another incentive for them to buy it. I I don't see like once Vince McMahon passes or gives up the company uh wrestling is going to be in a very difficult spot because right now yeah they do have stars that's going to drive it but once those stars leave there's nobody really on the independent scene that's like wwe ready or worthy for them to be like we need that guy right now and he's going to be our next star and all that where people need to come see him all over the world i just don't see that happening uh
0: I, i don't see that jim Cornette made a comment he said Uh, If WWE ever gets sold, that would be the end of of really the wrestling industry as a whole. Um, I personally would disagree in some regards because I don't want to discredit what anybody else is trying to do. In your opinion, how far is the gap between WWE and an AEW? And do you feel like AEW could potentially narrow that gap?
1: I think anybody can potentially narrow the gap if you got the funds and the resources, which they do, but uh, the level of as far as exposure, as far as business, like WWE is just a different beast, but we also are comparing apples to oranges. For example, True. WWE is a movie-making company. AEW is a pro-wrestling company, so we can't really compare the two because they're not the same thing. Yes, they do provide the same source of entertainment, but in a different light. So you're looking at it in a different light. You're looking at WWE for the storylines and the investments and for your favorite internet darling who ended up making it. Rather, when you're looking at AEW, you're looking for the high spots, the fucking uh, the 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 action. You know, the the crowd engagement. It's totally different. So uh, when it comes to that aspect, the gap is very much. Wide, but because
0: you're not comparing the same things. Would you ever consider war? Maybe you have uh, been reached out by AEW. Would that be something that you would be willing to explore? I would,
1: if if it was brought in as a different light uh, than I was in WWE. For example, when Kalisto came into AEW, it was the same spot that he was in WWE. I didn't want that spot, so I'll, you know, my answer would always be no. But if it was an opportunity to really showcase, you know, my talking ability or my, you know, character, then I would be more interested in that. And that's what MLW is doing for me. They're letting me be me and, and more and more uh, you guys going to see that in the future. So it's kind of like a no-brainer of why I wanted to do that rather than go to AEW or, or you know, this and that. I just, again, I want to be, be a superstar. I don't want to be just like a dude on the indies or an ex-WWE guy. I, I want to be the dude.
0: What would you say was the reason why you weren't focused and highlighted on with your speaking and your personality more so? Was it because a lot of people in the past just didn't see that fitting with what their vision was? Because this is just me spitballing it, and I'm not a promoter or even in the industry. But if you have someone who has phenomenal athletic abilities but can also talk on the microphone as well and is charismatic – I would want to expose that person and give them as every many opportunities as possible because they get over the company gets over and everyone grows in in the in the process why do you think that you were never really given that shot to go ahead and really be more vocal
1: I think they just didn't know how to book like mask guys, I think the the thing I would always hear a lot was like, "Well, I can't see your face." Well, you could see my face. You could see when I'm excited or sad or angry or whatever. You can hear me clearly. You know when I talk. I just think they just didn't know how to book like a, a Blue Demon or El Santo who can talk. You know, they didn't. They they're so focused on so much the character, the person rather than the character, the character. You know, like I play a character. When I take my mask off, I'm not in character. I'm the person that plays the you know the, this character. But uh, it, yeah, I think it's just ignorance of just how to book somebody, um, you know, because of the mass or the culture, especially we had a lot of, I'm not being racist or anything, but we had a lot of white dudes try to write for black and Hispanic dudes. Like, you don't know the culture. I had dudes, message, uh, writers were like, I need you to do this for Cinco de Mayo. I was like, you know, that's one, I'm not Mexican. That's a Mexican thing. And two, that's not like a real like thing. So it's just not knowing, just not knowing what they have even if you beg them over and over again through conversation like this is different this is look I'm talking to you right now like we could have this conversation on on screen
0: it's just they just don't know how to do it you know Ignorance, in my opinion, uh, runs rampant sometimes when people don't uh, have good communication. And I think that's the biggest problem, misconception and whatnot. You're with MLW. You're obviously getting great opportunities now. How great does it feel, like you said before, to be in a position now where you are utilizing all of your your, your skills and your tools right now? And I think it's only going to give you even greater respect from the audience and from those in the promotion who get to see the full package now, which wasn't displayed in prior promotions. Yeah. Well, they're also letting me
1: agent and produce. So I'm also teaching uh, some wrestling. So they're letting me do exactly what I want to do as, as well as wrestle. So I'm, I'm triple dipping right now. And um, you know, I know it's worth worth it when I could walk into an ECW arena and the crowd is loving me and chanting for me. And not, I never got that when I was in, in, in Chikara or all the other promotions that ran out of Philadelphia. But now that I'm in a position where they can see my social media and I'm being me and I'm putting out videos and my costume is, you know, on point and and I'm just being more interactive, being more me, um, has helped me out tremendously. And MLW has helped me out greatly with that opportunity because all the other places, you know, I have two fees. I have a, uh, This is a one off fee. This is what I'm going to charge. But if you're going to bring me in for more then you know, I'll do business. Let's do business fee. And uh, most of the places are bringing me in one off. So they're I don't know. They're just like they see one kind of style or see only one thing I could bring. But MLW has seen like the total package, the Lex Luger of the things that I could bring uh, to professional wrestling. So I'm excited for that.
0: I love the different nuances you bring into that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I know we are short on time. We've gone way over and I just want to say thank you so far. I appreciate with, you, man. Thank with, you. With with being grateful for your time going forward here. Um, obviously it's a, it's a new era. It's a new moment for you. What are some things that you're looking really forward to going forward, not only with MLW, but in the presentation of your career going into the future?
1: For sure, I'm I'm more excited right now just putting out content, whether it's promos or videos of things that are just of me, people to get to know me, the real me, not just Lindsay. Uh, that was an idea given to me by Gabe Sapolsky. Like you know, people need to see who you are. You need a documentary, so you need to put that out. Uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. I'm also working on some books, uh, you know, survival guide to pro wrestling, a satire to pro wrestling, uh, some children's books, and and my auto that uh, I I want people to read and really get the insight of what it was like to be a mass wrestler in America. But um, between that and Mass Republic, uh, you know, some announcements I'm going to be putting out pretty soon that I I don't want to put out here and something I'm looking forward to in August. There's a lot of things that I'm looking forward to, but one day at a time for me, you know, one day at a time, one project a day, and um, just enjoy the journey in the meantime.
0: So I like to call this section Plugomania um, what are some dates places you're gonna be at merchandise social media by all means let everyone know where they can find out more about you where they can purchase uh, your merchandise uh, upcoming events you're gonna be at Do you also do seminars as well? I do seminar I'd rather do seminars than wrestling. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually going to uh, hopefully
1: within a year's time, my wrestling school with uh, two other guys will be opened up. So um, yeah, I, I love wrestling and, and seminars. So anybody listening to this, you yeah, all want one, come hit me up please. But yeah, you guys could always check me out. Lucha lit.com All my information is there from merch to my calendar, uh, my booking information, Uh, media, um, all my social media, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube channel, everything that you need about Lince Dorado is on there. Some of my big dates that I'm looking forward to, especially this weekend with my return to MLW for their battle riot on the 23rd and then a hog wrestling debut wrestling low key on the 25th in New York. Um, Those are two really big dates that I'm really, really looking forward to coming up. My July, I have a couple of shows, but I'm actually going to take my first vacation ever uh, with my family. So I'm going to take that. uh, Thank you. I'm going to take that at the end of July and take it in the first week of August. And like I said, in August, I have something really, really big uh, to announce, but I'm waiting for the company to announce it first because I can't announce it yet. But uh, uh, life-changing.
0: Yeah, just life-changing. And and I, I guarantee you manifested this as well, my friend.
1: That one, yeah. That one I knew a long time ago that I was like, "Mm, once I'm done that, I'm going to do this. And it was cake as soon as that happened.
0: Is there any chance that we could twist your arm uh, to go ahead and come back and do a part two? Because I just find you to be a fascinating individual. Even when we're not talking about wrestling, just your endeavors, the way your mind works, um, just the way you see life and whatnot. I feel like that's why these interviews are so much fun because you get to know the person. Yes, the wrestling aspect, but when you really get to know the person, I think that's what makes fans gravitate towards somebody. You know what I mean? Like-minded people like Mm -hmm. to be around like-minded people. So any chance we could do a part two down the road?
1: I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. The most entertaining, the most interesting luchador of all professional wrestling, the 2010 and 2011 Mr. Puss in Boots, Lucha Lit, Lince Dorado, will be back for part two.
0: I love it. I love it so much. That's my intro, by the way.
1: That's my intro, by the way.
0: I love that. That is fantastic.
1: (laughs) This is how it usually goes. Ready? They go. From the Lucha Lounge in San Juan, Puerto Rico, by way of Camden, New Jersey, he is the most entertaining, the most interesting luchador of all professional wrestling, the 2010 and 2011 Mr. Puss in Boots Lucha Lit Lince Duato. That's it. That's how they usually do it. No weights, no nothing. Just entertaining from this from the bell. Let's go. I
0: was gonna say that has people that that has me captivated right there. I'm like, wow, that's a hell of an intro.
1: Thank you, thank you. Wow, that's it gets a, bigger every
0: every week. <laughs> more, <laughs> more accolades continue week, to get
1: yeah, added. Last week, so I don't know what I'll add this week.
0: I love it. I love it my friend, enjoy your summer. Enjoy your family you vacation. So Give the kids a hug and a kiss from me and, and continue sure. to do what you do because there's so many people who are going to listen to this and who are going to be inspired to say, you know what, I want to change the way I do things, or you know what, maybe I should approach things a little bit differently. And we talked about before, not the complaining, but the compromising. So many nuggets of wisdom here that we've uh, we've touched upon. And I know the audience is definitely going to grab that and run with it. So Thank you so much. And we will definitely be talking to you down the road. Thank you so much, guys. Stay Lucha Lit. All righty. All right, guys, that's Lince Dorado. Man, Once again, I I sound like a broken record, but it's these types of conversations, and I almost feel bad calling them interviews because they're more conversations about these individuals and who they are, and I think they need to be highlighted and spotlighted for who they are as people. I mean, let's think about this. Not only was he self-motivated to become a professional wrestler, but he realized, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and make gear. Now he's going into making suits and a clothing line. He knows what he is, is worth, his value. He knows what it, it means to build a brand. But once he got all of these great accolades, the one thing that I, I continue to think about when I remember this conversation is he knows what's most important to him, and that's being true to himself and being true to his family. And it's not always about money. Yeah, money can provide you a lot of things, right? Cars and homes and uh, clothes for the kids and maybe a college tuition. But life is so short. And the most important thing is to know that you lived your life the way you wanted to live it, not by the standards of anyone else, but by your own standards. And to know that the things you did, the decisions that you made, were ones that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you can feel comfortable that you know you did what was in your heart. And I feel like, Lindsay, completely epitomizes all of that for so many different reasons. This is why I want to definitely have a part two and find out more about him as an individual and his visions. And man, a wrestling school, seminars, all of these things, guys, these are wisdom nuggets that young professional wrestlers absolutely need to take advantage of. And once again, he mentioned this, be a sponge you know, and, and wrestlers said, shut your mouth and open your ears. That's the most important thing you can do because when someone, my dad even said this, he said, the most important thing anyone can ever give you is their time because that clock stops for no one. And if someone's willing to give you time, then you need to respect that because they'll never get that back. And that's a great gift. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Remember, all of our podcasts drop each and every Friday with the Front Row Material brand. Our daily news podcast, Headlines, it gives you the one-stop shop for everything that's pro wrestling, what's happening with your favorite wrestlers, what's happening in your favorite promotions. It is available much like our Friday podcasts. Anywhere fine podcasts are made available. But Lince Dorado is a true professional, and most importantly, he's a better man and human being. All right, guys, that's going to do it. We will catch you on the next episode of the Front Row Material brand. The world of NLW Radio never stops.